everybody, and welcome back. We have taken a little bit of a break. We finished our first season, and we are back today with a season premiere of season two. Season two of the Nativity Podcast. For those of you who tuned into the first season, we got so much wonderful feedback. We are so grateful for everything that you did to support us. And we would love to spend another um, couple of episodes, another eight episodes or so, interviewing and getting to meet some of the amazing ministries of our parish. Oh, man. All right, Mary, we are back again. Back, um, again. As, back again. As you know, I am Father Ed Bresnahan, the parochial vicar at Nativity Parish in Burke, Virginia. And I'm your social media coordinator, Mary Castellano. And we are joined today by Mr. Bob Corsi, who is the construction crew chief or the director is the best way to describe it. I would say the nativity project lead. The mm-hmm. nativity project lead of an amazing program that we do uh, called the Appalachian Home Building Project. Um, we're going to learn a lot about that today. We've got some amazing, uh, amazing insights from Bob. Bob, we are so glad to have you on with us today glad to be here father all right but before we get into building other people's homes uh, i gotta say like home is is such a thing right and and right now you know you could be listening to this podcast whenever you wherever you are um you may not even be listening to it during the same season that we are but we're recording it in the springtime and spring is in the air and one of the funny things that happens during the spring season is people sort of come out of hibernation they start looking at the different places in their house and they start kind of cleaning renovating doing some stuff in their own home and I don't know about you guys, but for me, uh, I have like special places that uh, the home, wherever I am, it's always very special, but there are some places that are just like, oh, now I feel most at home. Mm-hmm. So the question I have for everybody today, where is your home within your home? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, Father, it would be our great room that we added on probably about 12 years ago. Uh, it was a room that I designed because we could not find an architect, you know, to do a small project. But, you know, working with my wife, we ended up designing a beautiful room. And uh, it's, it's a stunning room. People come into our house and comment, who did this? How did you do this? And we ended up being the general contractors for it. And we used a local contractor, Mike Crofanta, to actually build it out. And uh, we're just so pleased with it. My wife is a phenomenal designer. Uh, when it comes to the interior appointment of the room. So everything just came together with that room. Nice. Oh, that's incredible. What a great way to sort of showcase your talent and then and then your wife's talent. So you can both sort of look and see a little element of yourself in the room. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's got to feel real good when somebody comes in and says, hey, this room, this is a special room. And you're kind of like, yes. I did Absolutely. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you, Father? What's your favorite room in your home? Well, I, most people who listen to my homilies know I love food. And, and so, <laughs> I mean, just it's one of those things where one time, like every now and again, when I get a free like few minutes, one of the things I love to do is to cook and just to kind of put some things together and just the smell of, you know, the smell of onions and garlic on the on the stove, the smell of, you know, good like bacon. meat. Yeah, bacon, good bacon, everybody. <laughs> loves bacon um you know the smell of good meat kind of or a good pie baking in the oven or something like that i just love that so the kitchen is kind of always where i sort of feel at home i you know i like to do the thing where i come in unload everything and then you know dirty up a bunch of dishes and then while one thing is cleaning or one thing is cooking another thing is clean i just it's a great little place to be mm-hmm. so mary how about you what's your place what's your home cool. within your home Maybe it's a little bit unconventional, but kind of like you, Bob, I helped redesign my family's bath, my my personal bathroom. 
bathroom in my family home. And so everything was just really intentional. It has the best lighting. Um, I think of any other room in the house. I don't do, I don't, I'm not really super into makeup, but if someone were to come into my home and like really need good lighting for makeup, that would be the place to do it. And so I, I'm really proud of like just the way that all the colors match. And I just, I really like my bathroom. That might sound like a really <laughs> weird thing to say, but I'm very, very comfortable in it. And I'm very proud of it. So. I don't think it feels weird at all. I think it's that's a it's it's a project. It's special to you. You walk in saying, "I made this the way that I wanted to make it." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit of a of a transition. But when we get to what we're talking about today, we're talking about being able to provide some of that expertise to a group of people who might not be able to just go in and design their own bathroom or do that. So, really great opportunity for us to remember our gratitude. So, now, Bob, this program, this Appalachia Home Building Program, it it comes from a bigger organization. And we haven't had any of our nights on yet uh, into the into the show. So um, just kind of maybe do you think you could let us know a little bit about sort of how how the Knights of Columbus got involved in this? Who are the Knights Mm -hmm. and how did you get involved? Well, I I think it would be best to start with how I got involved. You know, so I was stationed out at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska and uh, I was attending mass. This was back in 1990, Mm. and there was a presentation being given by a group called the Appalachia Construction Group. And so I listened to that group. I told my wife, I says, you know, when I have time, I would like to do that. And my wife looked at me as she normally does and says, if it's important enough to you, you will make time. Looking at my wife, I says, you're absolutely right. I'm going to go join this effort. And so in 1990 and 1991, I built two houses with the group. The group was, it's a 501c3 that was created out in 1988. They built off a model that was being used in Connecticut. And a Catholic priest who was in the Air Force uh, knew what was being done out there in Darien, Connecticut, a very rich parish. They worked with Sister Nancy, who ran a mission in Whitley City, Kentucky, and she was from Connecticut. And I know I'm giving you a little more background, but this is pretty good to to, to understand how this all started. The Catholic world is so small, right? So it's this person knows this person, and then suddenly we're all working together. So these two nuns that were her Sister Nancy and Sister Jean ran this mission in Whitley City, Kentucky, coming from Connecticut. And they knew this rich parish that existed there and that rich parish would raise money to build two houses there in Kentucky because they thought it was incredibly important that their teenagers get exposed to a part of this country and people that were less fortunate than them. Mm -hmm. So they worked with Sister Nancy at that mission to start building houses. So when this Catholic priest who came from Connecticut was servicing us at Offutt Air Force Base, he says, why can't you start something out here at Offutt Air Force Base? So George Zisker, who is a Navy combat construction guru, took the point, and he was still active duty. We were all active duty at the time, and he started the organization back in 88 with a group of primarily active duty military. We had some retirees, but it was a very small group, maybe about 10, 12. And they started the organization, and their whole goal was to raise $15,000 a year to start. And what they did is they said, we will build a, a basically a shell of a house. 
And then we would leave it up to the mission to work with the family through other donations to be able to finish the home. So we built two houses out there in 90 and 91, and that's how I got exposed to the Appalachia Construction Crew effort. So this organization continued, and then with my military moves, okay, I stayed in contact with them until I came here to Nativity. And I attended one of the first masses when we got back in the area, and sure enough, one of the nights, the Grand Knight was up there talking about, you know, the Knights of Columbus, because I was not a member of the Knights of Columbus at that time. Talked about all the good things that the Knights did. And I looked over at my wife and says, you know, I'd like to join the Knights when I have time. And there she was again, looked at me and says, if it's important enough for you to do this, you know, you will join. Smart wife. And I became a Knight in 1998. So for two years, I was getting a feel for the Knights of Columbus. They didn't do many things that were outside the parish. So this was In a lot of ways, it was outside the comfort level of the Knights. So I mentioned about Appalachia because I knew they were struggling out there in Omaha because they depended on the base for their main funding source. And then after 9-11, all access to the base changed in their ability to raise money and organizations allowed on the base to do things. So I knew they were having challenges. So I put a proposal together for the Knights and said, how about if we get involved with the Knights, with the Appalachia construction crews as well? We'd never done anything like this before. So we started off very small. They, they They allowed some reimbursement for travel. And I had a total crew of five at that time. And we participated in our first house in 2001 from Nativity. Uh, Nativity wasn't asked. We didn't take it to the, the parishioners and stuff, so it was mainly localized with the Knights. And, you know, and then we got Father Martin, gave us some donations for the first few years. And then we knew the organization was struggling. It was about ready to, to sunset in 2005 unless they were able to get more money. And then I approached Father Martin at the time. And I explained the situation. And he said, Bob, why don't you take it to the parishioners? So he allowed me to talk to the parishioners for the first time in 2005. And with not a lot of fanfare, we raised like $25,000 in that first weekend, which was amazing because Omaha could not raise much more than five or $10,000 for a whole year in wow. what we did in one weekend. And that really is how this started. And the parish embraced it since 2005. Uh, The donations have been incredible with this donation that we just raised for this. This will be our 24th house that Nativity has participated in. We're over $110,000 for this house, but we're doing so much more. We're giving the family now a complete home. Mm. You know, they walk in, everything is done. And we even provide new beds with the help of the, our parishioners with the Christmas given tree and, and the donation. So all the new family gets new beds. So this will be Nativity's 24th home in June. It'll be my 26th home. So, and, and now it's, we've gone from a shell of a house to a complete three-bedroom, two-bath house. And some, we've been, we built our second four-bedroom house last year for a family of six. And it's, it's a turnkey. It's free to the family. All we ask is there's sweat equity. 
because the families, the average income is about twenty dollars to $25,000 a year. And when you think about how do you raise a family and how do you live in decent conditions, you know, on an income of $25,000 a year, it's almost impossible. So that's really the history of how we got started. That's incredible. Wow. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, so many questions. Um, so maybe you can give us, um, uh, Bob, so who, who benefits from these homes? Maybe you can kind of tell us a little more about that. So when we first started, Sister Nancy and Sister Jean wanted to take care of the poorest of the poor. And we understood that. But what we found over time is that was probably not the best model because they just couldn't take care of the house the way they grew up. You know, and again, the income for the poorest of the poor, they were about eight to $10,000 a year and mainly on government assistance. Mm-hmm. And so when Sister Jean and Sister Nancy left, they were there 40 years running that mission. And they did everything. They, they provided medical support, food, clothing. They did everything. They saw generations grow up in that area. And so when the new group came in, it was a group of three that took over kind of the management, the selecting of the families. So it, it came down to families would, would, would put their application in, they would talk about why they need it, they would show their income, because we wanted to make sure that they wanted to make sure that the family had the capacity to take care of the house and that they could pay for homeowners insurance because we were given a much more complete house. We used to put wood stoves in, which in one case, two cases, the house actually caught fire and burned down because of the wood stoves. And then we went to heat pumps. So now the family is getting a very modern home Mm. with heat pump, up all the appliances and a whole bunch of household items that Nativity also donates on top of what they donate for the construction. So so it was a different model, but now the families put their application in. The, the committee revisits their house to see how they're taking care of it. So even though they're in maybe a dilapidated trailer, they want to see how, how they're maintaining that dilapidated trailer mm-hmm. to get a sensing that this is a good family and that they will take care of the house. So that's what happens now in terms of the selection of the families. And all these houses are in eastern Kentucky. Southeastern part of the state, McCreary County. Okay. One of the poorest counties in the country of the 3,000 counties. Usually McCreary County is is in the top 25. I think it's the poorest county in the state of Kentucky. Sure. You know, so not how whether you rate it, you know, whether it's on income level, child poverty level, McCreary County uses raises to talk because there's very little industry there because they're in the middle of the of the Daniel Boone National Forest. So it's very limited what is allowed to go in there to begin with. Mm, sure. Interesting. Wow. How long does it take for you all to build a home? We arrange to have the foundation put in usually in the fall. So September, October is when the foundation goes in. We've already selected the families because we found when we wait to the spring, you get spring rains. Mm. And that complicates things with other things that happen that need to happen. But the foundation is put in and normally the septic system goes in in the fall. So then when we arrive in May, you have the foundation is in with the subfloor. We have an, another charitable group in, in uh, Louisville that comes in and puts the actual subfloor in over the foundation. So everything is done for the foundation when we arrive, and we do all the vertical construction. So from the time we arrive, two weeks, the house is done. 
And by we, do you mean you, like the five or ten nights? No, no, no. Now it's we bring 20 from Nativity. Mm-hmm. Okay, we team with the crew in Omaha because they, they are the main organization. They mm-hmm. pay the bills. They do the design. They work with the organization in Whitley City to do all the organization. They arrange for the subcontractors. So they do all of that. We do 90% of the funding, mm-hmm. maybe almost 100% now. And then on the crew, we provide 70% of the crew Wow! to do the actual building. But still, just the idea that there's um, you know 25 to 30 people like racing around building stuff, hauling lumber and uh, getting things. You, I understand. If, if you were to watch us, you would think we did that for a living. Because mm-hmm. we hit the site and there was three separate crews. Okay, we have a framing crew, which I, George, who is the engineer out there in Omaha, lays out the, the house. Oh, sure, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I run the framing crew. We have another crew that does the siding, and then we have another crew that builds the porches. So you have three crews simultaneously working on things from the time you hit the site. Mm-hmm. And we're on the site at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we normally leave at 6 o'clock at night, so the days are long. Do the do do the does the family get involved very much? If the family is able, they there is they put in their sweat equity. You know, they're out there helping out. Sometimes we have some of our previous families that show up to help, which oh, is wow. great. Which is great when they do that. Sometimes the other families bring food out to us. You know, and, and the family does what they can, but obviously the father needs to work. So sometimes some relatives come by to help. Uh, but the family does what they're able to do. But they're usually very supportive. They're out there. They're bringing us baked cookies and, you know, what do you need? And, you know, I, I mean, they do what they can. That's fantastic. Oh, man. Uh, what was like maybe one of the more memorable moments for you? One of the, the, the moments, like maybe it was like a kid bringing you cookies or something like that. I don't know. A problem that you like overcame? I guess for me, it was, it was in the very beginning, you know, in terms of, because I didn't know what to expect, you know, you know, out in Appalachia. I was never in that area. But what has, what amazed me the most is the two nuns, you know, how they dedicated their lives 40 years out there running that mission, helping those families. We had one nun, Sister Nancy, had a little van, and she would go up into the mountains to teach the families how to read and write because their child would go to school. It didn't get reinforced at home, so they would go out to the boonies and have a classroom in their van and teach the families how to read and write. But their dedication is what moved me in terms of how people of faith, but not so much, and they weren't helping Catholics, they were helping people in need. Mm -hmm. But how, you know, they could make such a difference in the lives of this community, which was really our third world. If anybody has been to Appalachia, it's third world. Indoor plumbing, when we first started, was not a given. 
outhouses were still there. I mean, people were living in shacks like you wouldn't believe. But again, watching the nuns inspired me. And I know it would bother me. And Sister Nancy would get me aside when you see, well, and she says, Bob, you would have to realize you can only help one family at a time. Mm -hmm. And you have to take great satisfaction in that. You can't let the overall situation overwhelm you. Because here they were in the middle of all of that. as why they wouldn't throw up their hands and give up. And there they stayed for 40 years until they got called back by the mother house because they were in their 80s and they couldn't get taken care of. And there was nobody to go behind them. So then church parishioners ended up taking charge of the mission after they left. But, but seeing those nuns, their dedication out there, that's what I remember the most. And to be honest with you, that would, that's what motivates me now to go back there one house at a time to change the life of a family. That was going to be my next question, but I figured it out. <laughs> wow, so good. That is so beautiful. You read our, you read our minds. We were going to yeah. ask you about that. Like um, we were going to ask you like, why is it that you go back year after year? And, and it's why all the crew goes back. I mean, I again, this will be my 26th house and 24th for Nativity, but I have nights that have been with me every year, almost every year. Some of them are, have 20 houses under their belt. You know, I would say the average is somewhere between 12 and 15 houses for the experience of our crew in their dedication that they give up a week to two weeks away from their family, giving up vacation time if they're still working, okay, to go out and do this as to, you know, it inspires them to go back every year. And it takes a toll on you. You don't do this as a living. You do this once a year, and we're asking you 12 hours a day, seven days to to basically take your body to levels that you haven't seen in a while. Mm, mm-hmm. And you're out there in all types of weather. The heat is what bothers you the most. And sometimes we'll have to break because the heat gets to the crew, even though we build in, in, in June, early June. Because in the old days, we built in mid-July, which was a killer for mm. everybody, Oof. especially when you're on a roof and putting mm. a roof in and stuff. So it's a... Southeast de- Kentucky in the middle of July sounds like but, an but absolute... The, but like, the dedication of, of the people from all over, they come from primarily here, but, you know, Nebraska, we got Colorado, you know, Texas. They all come together as one, and it's a seamless team. And everybody has got the same focus. So let me ask you this. This wasn't a prepped question ahead of time, but um, how do you feel at the end of the two weeks? How do you and your crew and the family feel? <laughs> You feel, tip, uh, I mean, obviously, physically, you are spent. I mean, there's, there really is nothing left after spending two weeks out there. And several of us spend the entire two weeks now that we're fully retired with the building and the finishing. But when we do the house blessing, and that usually occurs about the midpoint, right after all the vertical construction is done, we do the house blessing, we, have, we give the keys to the family, and it's an emotional time for everybody. And, and again, they're not used to outsiders coming into their community. So expressing emotion. I mean, some are very emotional. I mean, one father got up and said, I don't know how people like you do what you do for people like us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the whole crew, I mean, you'd lose it. I mean, you just lose it when you hear that. You know, the family that we built last year. It's just the words of the family make it all good. Mm-hmm. Okay, all the effort, the fundraising, all of that is secondary to hear what these families say 
the thanks. All we want is a simple thank you. Mm -hmm. That's it, okay? Mm -hmm. But these family, you know, they give testimonials and stuff. And this family last time says how this house has changed their lives. How they can have a dinner without and go to bed without worrying about their trailer burning down because of their electrical. How they're worrying about how they're going to heat the house this winter because they've got holes in the floor of their trailer. That now their kids are able to invite friends over and actually see their room, mm. okay, and be proud of their room. I mean, so you hear all of this, and it, and it makes you feel good, really good, even though you're all beat up. Mm -hmm. Just hearing those words from these families makes the difference. It makes it all worthwhile. Sure. I mean, I imagine the best part about it is not the best part, but I feel like it's pretty obvious to see like where you see God in it. But maybe I think that's another thing. Do you, do you get um, do you get to have a lot of opportunities to sort of share not just through action, but through conversation about how God is working in the midst of this incredible activity? Where I see God, Father, is I see it in, in the workers that, uh, that, you know, are crew members that, you know, put their lives on hold to go out and help. I mean, it's what the nights are all about. I mean, it's, you know, you live your faith. Charity is, is one of the main tenets of the, of the Knights of Columbus. It's just you see people willing to put their life on hold to help something. So I see God, I saw it in those nuns, my, you know, day in and day out, what they did there for 40 years. I see it in the crew. The folks that we build houses for, I don't think we've ever built it for a Catholic family. Hmm. And most of these people, I guess they're probably Baptist, you know, in, in that, that particular area. So, so we don't really get into, you know, the discussion of faith, you know, with, with, with the families and stuff. I, but I see God, I see God in the crew and what they do day in and day out. I mean, it's putting themselves through that, sure. you know, and, and again, it takes a toll on people. It just, yeah. it just does. It does. I can imagine that it's a good exhaustion. You right? feel, a, you a feel good exhaustion. You feel good about. You don't yeah. have to worry about falling asleep at night. Usually, you're passing out about eight o'clock. People are asleep on the couch and they get this. You're up at five in the morning. You know, you, we have our routine about breakfast and making lunch and get make sure we've got all the stuff we need to take out to the site. Uh, we even, you know, Father Bob bought a defibrillator, portable defibrillator that we take out to the site. It's, it's right at the office here. You can check it out for an event, and we take <laughs> it with us because we our crew members are old. We probably average 65-plus, Okay, you know, is the average age of our crew. You okay. know, it's great that we have some young folks, but probably our youngest person is probably 28 or 30, and we have one of those. Okay. Do you do some outreach to try to get new recruits for people who can... We try, you know, we try to primarily go with the Knights, all right, because again, it's, it's you know, and, uh, and Knights and their family members, and uh, so we try, but even if we got 500 Knights, it's still the commitment to take a week, you know, away from your family, to use a week of your vacation, that is tough. Yeah. You know, people, people tell you, we would love to be able to do it, but I can't get the time off. 
And, uh, and then with COVID and stuff, we had our COVID provo- protocols, you know, there at the mission, the temperature checks, you know, and I mean, we were very sensitive and we, and we didn't go out in the community. You know, we invited the, we, we usually invited the family over to the mission where we stay to, to do the turning over the keys and stuff. But we haven't done that for two years because of COVID. And we're not going to do it again this year. We'll, we do everything there at the site for the house blessing and stuff. So it's... So we try, but it, it's tough. Unless you're retired and you're in good physical shape, because what we tell folks, if you have any medical condition, please don't volunteer. Because, you know, we're normally away from medical facilities. Sometimes we don't have the best cell phone connectivity, you know, and that's why the portable defibrillator that we take out there is, is wonderful just in case. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we, everybody's trained on how to use it. So, Would you ever accept college students if they're uh, home on break? We would, Between, okay, you know, but if we need it, but, but, but if we needed them to fill a void. If I had a volunteer that was a college student this past time, I would take them right now, mm-hmm. okay, because we've had people fall out. People sign up, and then something happens. We had one individual out in Colorado who was in a bad car accident. Mm. Oh, we my. had another one's changing jobs, mm-hmm. and they can't get the time off. So you don't know those things until usually you get close to you know the actual deployment but so it's always nice to have some alternates do you have an ideal number of people that uh you or a minimum number of people you would need for a project uh for every summer just to kind of give uh, listeners i I would say right now we are averaging probably about 24 to 27 okay to do the house and two of those are cooks that come from omaha Mm. They come out and cook. I mean, we got home cooked meals every night, you know, and they're there for the first crew. And then we have sometimes we use a local cook, you know, to come in and and cook for us. Or like Barry Baselger was our cook, you know, uh, two years ago. You know, he's coming back this this uh, this June, and, and he will take on the cooking dues. We've had Jerry Leonard one of the nights, you know, strapped on the cooking responsibilities. But the thing about it is when you're working during the day, you're really tired. And then for those that volunteer to do the cooking, you know, now you're, you're working on you got to go get groceries, you gotta, and then you got to prep, you know, for everybody. So it's a... But again, if we had more volunteers, that would they would go probably on our alternate list, mm-hmm. all right? You know, and we would use them, but not anybody less than eighteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's mm-hmm. a, yeah, sure, yeah, that makes a lot I of sense. I mean, it's because we are dealing with major construction, sure. okay? Yeah, and there's a safety issue, and also it's just the ability to swing a hammer. All right, now we're using more pneumatics, but right now, but if you ever took a 22-ounce 22 22 hammer and tried to drive in a framing nail, you get a good appreciation of, <laughs> of, of you know, what people do for a living, how they build houses for a living. So it's a... It's got to be sturdy stuff. We interviewed yeah. the... Um, we interviewed uh, a number of students who did work camp uh, last year. And, yeah, that's uh, exactly what I was thinking. It's mm-hmm. like if anybody who's ever participated in work camp with the diocese, you know, a- after they graduate, they go to f- off to college, but they have such fond memories of their work camp experience where they're they're repairing homes. They're not building them from scratch. Mm-hmm. They might be building a fence or maybe Usually a wheelchair shed. ramps and sheds and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, Roof, or, roofing. They get up on roofs and do roofing. Well, they I do. Do they? They do. A hundred percent. I no, they get har- they get harnesses and oh, they do all okay. that. Yeah, I did, absolutely. I did, I did I did I did a roof with work camp 
many years ago, mm-hmm. 10, 12 years ago, and we did the roof. Yep, yeah. absolutely. We, repl- we replaced the roof, and then we had a safety session beforehand with the sure. harnesses and stuff. Yeah. Sure. But I'm just thinking, you know, if any if any of the teenagers who listened to that episode in season one listens to this one and thinks to themselves, wow, like, here's another opportunity that I can put those those skills that I can put that week of service if, if they're off, you know, during the break or if they don't have an internship or maybe their internship doesn't start yet because it's in June or something like that, that this is another opportunity that they could possibly get involved in, um, you know, if they well, had I mean, the time they see and the slides. You know, I mm-hmm. show them the, the slides and I put the uh, uh, the uh, little when do you display do that? Up. First week? weekend in January, I do the slides. Yeah, that's right. And mm-hmm. I do the fundraising. It's just yep. the, the one week. It's the first weekend in January. That's right, yeah. That shows the whole building effort. What have you kind of learned? What have you kind of taken away, not just maybe from kind of the the practical building of a house, but the service to a family? You've been doing this for, you know, so many years. What have you kind of taken away or learned about that service and providing the service to these families in need? I, I was so moved the first time I did this back in 1990 to see the conditions that they lived in. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you think day in and day out, you know, uh, you don't really think of how well off you are mm. and how thankful mm-hmm. you should be, mm. you know, for what you have, okay? And when you see the, what the other folks are, are trying to, and I use the word survive, day in and day out, my biggest takeaway was that I am so grateful for everything that has happened to me, and I just want to pass that on. You know, you call it pay it forward, but, you know, and, and, and I, we don't really say it's charity. You know, what we say is when we're helping, we're helping another family. We don't use the word this is charity, okay? But, but again, it's, that's what has moved me to do, to do what I am doing. It's, it's when you, are ve- you really need to be thankful for what you've got, and when you see what other people don't have, you realize how well off you really are for what you have. And I don't think people realize how well off you are until you go and see another part of this country where they're not as well off. Amen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, too, because in the first episode of, of our last season, we were talking with Jim McDaniel about uh, Operation Starfish and work in Haiti and that kind of, you know, kind of third world country kind of living very different standards of living. You could kind of almost expect from a country outside the U.S., but it, it's a great reminder that there are places within the U.S. that people people have different standards of living and like you were saying they're trying to just survive and i love that just being grateful for what we have every time you know the wi-fi is slow or something just mm-hmm. something you know our car may may not quite start or or we're i don't know we're okay. stuck behind somebody in a line yeah. or just you know just at least we have the yeah, exactly i mean while money is real important for this i mean people's time you can't put a price on people's time mm. okay and to me in this area here time is is so valuable to people and then when you volunteer to do something like this to me that multiplies over in terms of what you are giving you know you give of yeah. money you give of your time and that's so to me that's incredible mm-hmm. you know for what people are willing to do here one of the amazing things that we teach in our faith, obviously, though, is that our God is never outdone in generosity. Mm-hmm. And I just, it comes through so clear talking to you, Bob, that like this fills your heart. 
right? Mm-hmm. That the the gift that's being given is, is is a fraction of what God is able to give you, right? In terms of, you know, all of that. And I think sometimes sometimes it's a, a sense of like, you know, oh, I'm doing this to sort of ease my conscience. But no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is much different than your standard. Like, I, I really appreciated how you made the point that it wasn't just charity. Because when we think of charity, we think of like, oh, I'm going to do a charitable donation. Mm-hmm. Here's a couple bucks. Go have fun. Buy yourself a half a coffee. But in reality, it's the idea of, no, no, no. I'm your brother in Christ. I'm your sister in Christ. I'd like to... Um, I'd like to 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 meet you on this road, right? And be able to journey with them, even if it's only for two weeks, mm-hmm. right? Even if it's only for two weeks, then, and the fact that they come back, you know, the, a, a group of people, they only met two weeks, for two weeks, they're meeting you the next year and, and want to be a little bit a part of it. You know, what little bit I can do. And I think that says quite a lot about what our Lord offers us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing that some of the families who've received this gift of your time and energy into having receiving a new home then want to give back i think that that's incredible i had no idea we've had that many times we had some families that actually came and cooked for us at the end as a way of thanking us they cooked dinner one time you know and and it's just to show how grateful they were for the new home that we gave them Mm -hmm. that we were able to provide so amen all right so then one kind of final kind of to tie all the little pieces up um how can people, I should say, what do you need? What does Appalachian Home Build need in the present moment? And uh, and how do we get in touch with you? Well, I'll tell you, you know, in terms of the need, this parish has been incredible in terms of what it has done financially and what it does during the giving tree, because that's where they get all the household items. I mean, there is nothing else I could ask this parish to do. Every year, the the contributions keep going up and up. And with this contribution for this 24th house, we have now exceeded $1 million that has been donated by Nativity Parish since we started in 2001. We just went over a $1 million. Oh, my God. It's incredible. It's, it, it, is, it is incredible. So from a parish standpoint, I would say is, you know, God bless you for what you do, and, and please continue to help us. And they do. That's, I can't ask the parish to do anything. Father Bob's support has been incredible, and when he tells you the story, I don't think he was here a few hours on his very first day here, and I think I had an appointment to talk to no. him. <laughs> and, and we talked about Appalachia, and, and, and I mean, it was like, sign me up. And, but he'll tell that story. Who's the first one to talk to you when you came to the, he probably said, probably Bob Corsi. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to make sure, you know, you want to make sure. Like, well, maybe something that we can ask parishioners to do is to pray for the families, to pray for the work. To pray for the workers, pray for the family, you know, that, that you know, they, I mean, you know, I look at Appalachia as a third world. When somebody says, well, Haiti is third, I said, Haiti is fourth world, Okay. You know, in my in my in my mind, you know, and and you can't compare Haiti to Appalachia, all right. So, but but uh, again, in our own country, 
just to see those living. And people will say, no, it can't be in our country. Says so you just need to go up the Appalachian Mountain Trail. You know, you know, in, in all it goes all the way up to New York, down to Georgia. You got the same situation all up and down the Appalachian. It's not just Kentucky, it's West Virginia. I mean, you name it, it's it's that condition. Mm-hmm. And then the other areas that are worse than, than probably Appalachia is probably the Indian reservations. Yeah, you know, in terms Americans. of poverty level, McCreary County is up there, but usually the Indian reservations are, are, are higher on that poverty Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, sure. so everyone could use our prayers and, and support for yeah. sure. And, yeah, and, and keep being generous, you know, and, yeah. and you can't ask this, this parish to be any more generous than they are. It's incredible. It's amazing. Amen. We're really blessed. We're really blessed to be here. And, uh, and we have um, just a lot, uh, just a lot of amazing things going on. I think um, uh, what I love the most is that not only are people financially generous, but they're also just very aggressively. I think you said time is precious, right? So the idea that people are really good about their time too, they want to be part of this. And the fact that you said 70% of the crew is coming from one parish in a s- small town in Fairfax County, right? And here we go. Uh, they say, sign me up. I'm ready. I'll take a week out of my schedule. Let's go. So the other thing I think is really neat that you've mentioned a couple times is that our Advent Women of Nativity collection our what advent giving tree the giving tree father bob talked about that on our christmas episode and he's talked about it a lot like within staff meetings and and i'm probably from the pulpit but what what i think is really neat is sometimes when you give to like um you know to a christmas donation or even an easter donation you don't necessarily see where that donation goes or even hear about it you just know it, it's going somewhere good but here this is a place where you can actually see, you can actually see this is where your donation is going from Christmas to June. You know, this is where your gift and your, your generosity is going. So I think that connection is really neat and that I'm like making in my own head. Cause I remember taking photos of the, um, the advent giving tree and I'm like, Oh, here you go. Let me pick up a cart Appalachia. Oh, that's really neat. But now I'm kind of putting the pieces together and how it's just, it just shows, you know, like everything in this church works together all for the glory of God. You but know. that Amen. would not have happened without Ann Benson. Oh, definitely. Okay, Ann Benson organizes that giving effort for the families. Mm-hmm. And we ended up with several truckloads of household items that we bring down to the family, literally for every room of the house. Mm-hmm. We get the beds in advance, and she works with the furniture place there in, uh, in Kentucky. And, you know, everything from toys school supplies pots pans food okay is what Mm -hmm. we bring down to appalachia with us and so they're getting a new home and then they're getting every room of the house their kids are getting backpacks for school i mean it's she takes care of all of that shout out to ann benson yeah i was gonna say who should we shout out today we're shouting out to ann benson so you need to shout out you know for ann benson for for her caring to work with us to do this Mm-hmm. Amen. She's our office manager and uh, parish fi- finance manager, birthday coordinator, birthday queen, queen. She does. Uh, she does everything. She does a lot. She, she, does, yeah, she, her and her she, husband she, are parishioners here. For those of you who don't know, but yeah, she's mm-hmm. incredible. So reader, so reader, we, reader. So mm-hmm. she's gathering all these items, you know, from essentially Christmas through the time we leave, and when we go to their house to pick up, usually it's bedrooms full of items that we usually need three or four people to go to 
all the rooms to pick up the stuff. So mm-hmm. it's a tremendous amount. We guesstimate there's probably seven to ten thousand dollars worth of donated items wow. that ha- that that we bring with us. You know, sure. In, in addition to what the parish donates for the building effort. Wow. Amen. So how can someone get in contact with you all? If they're interested in learning more or getting Just, involved. Yeah, I mean, it's my name was in the, the bulletins all the time. You mm-hmm. know, Bob Corsi. Just contact Bob Corsi, you know, at the nights. And, you know, I'll answer any questions. I usually get a lot of questions. Can you, will you take furniture? And I thank them. And I says, no, we stopped taking furniture. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just too hard, you know, trying to get furniture down. And we don't have a trailer anymore to, to haul stuff down. But, but there are other mission, you know, organizations in, in the Kentucky area that help with furniture. Mm-hmm. Okay, they, we just tell them or the coordinates say this is what we need for the family. And usually they're bringing it down on trucks, you know, for that. Because usually the family, not much is... is worth taking from the house and again most of the houses have had mold significant mm-hmm. mold issues and the kids have asthma and stuff wow. so again that's that's the stuff that when you put them in a nice clean house the kids are no longer on their medications wow. there's no medical complications anymore i mean it well that's what you hear from the families in their testimonials after they spent six months in okay that they were able to have a dinner with relatives over and not worried about falling through the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear these testimonials and you just shake your head and says, this is why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why we do this. Well, we are very glad that you do what you do. Yes, we and are. And Mary, I'm glad that you do what you do. Oh, I'm glad that you do what you do, Father. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we do ask one question that is, uh, that is, is unique. Uh, it's a tradition we have here, and we're going to kick off season two with our first one. Mm-hmm. We've noticed, so we've been talking a lot, obviously, about our time on the road, our time in Appalachia. But one of the things, the obvious thing that unites all of us is that we're all members. We all belong here to, to Nativity Parish here in Burke. One of the things that I've noticed about us as Catholics, and I'm sure it's probably true for other religions, but mm-hmm. it's definitely yeah, true for totally. us, totally true for us, is that people are creatures of habit. So I want to ask you, where is your pew? Where do you sit in the church and why? <laughs> because of COVID, we have occupied the last row in the church. My wife, you know, with sensitivities, with COVID and stuff, we used to sit up by the choir. All right. Now we sit in the in the in the very background. We never leave until the choir is done. Okay, and we always thank them for for what they do, and we clap with the others. While everybody else is left, we always stay till the last song is completed. Even though we sit in that back row, we're not in a hurry to get out. It's just <laughs> that because of COVID, we have been more sensitive, mm-hmm. and we sit in that last row. I feel like that is a coveted place in the church. So do you ever get like looks from people who really hope that they would get the last seat, but you beat them no, to it? No, okay. it, no, 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 it, it, no. <laughs> it's just that we get there early. And, and again, the attendance has not been what it was prior to COVID. I mean, in terms of the church hasn't been packed at the normal popular males, masses and stuff. So it's, no, it's just that, you know, we get, the, the, we usually have the same people on either side mm-hmm. of us. So you have your you pew know, family. You, you have yeah, your pew family. Yeah. It's kind of the that's pew, so, it's kind of the pew so family good, at, the, at, the, at, you know, what we've seen in the, in the past few years. So it's, uh, but that's, that's where we sit. 
Amen. Amen. I love it. Well, Bob, seriously, we are so grateful that you've been able to be a part of this. This has been just an enlightening and incredible conversation and honestly, a great way to kick off this new season. Absolutely. Um, Mary, do you have any other shout outs? I think we want to shout yeah, out Ann Benson for being awesome. And yeah, thank you, Ann, for all the work that you do and put into this project. It, it means so much to this community, to the families that receive it, especially. Yeah. And uh, like uh, like Bob said, you can find his information in the bulletin uh, on our website mm-hmm. uh, under the ministries. And uh, and certainly uh, you can ask uh, ask around. The Knights of Columbus would be more than happy to welcome uh, welcome you yeah, and uh, and to 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 get you connected. Um, and then for us, um, don't forget to share, uh, like, subscribe, all that, uh, all that five jazz. You give us five star reviews. Look, the more that you promote us, the more people will discover us mm-hmm. um i just had somebody today after mass was uh, or yesterday after mass who said father i just discovered your podcast i oh. literally just discovered it we'd been doing it for a couple months mm-hmm. uh and she just discovered it uh for which i am so grateful mm-hmm. um and i told her i said the best thing you can do is to share it with your friends by word of mouth so Definitely. tell your friends about it uh and uh and we'll be very happy we'll be back again with another one uh, in pretty soon so thank you guys so much for mary i'm father Bresnan and we're signing off. God bless you and have a great day.